I'm Dan Schifrin. And I'm Kathy Joller. And this is The Space Between, Dispatches from the Contemporary Jewish Museum. Today we have on our program Michael Capazzola, a San Francisco-based comedian and cartoonist, best known locally for his cartoon Surveillance Caricatures, which ran for four years in the San Francisco Chronicle's 96 Hours section on Thursdays. Michael Capazzola is also a well-known comic who was recently a host for San Francisco's Sketchfest. Nationally, he is known for his contributions to TED Talks, as well as the New York Times, National Lampoon, and McSweeney's. He is also widely known and, as he said, sometimes despised for his video, My Clean PC. Among the creative contradictions Michael has embraced are those of cartooning and comedy, his Jewish and Italian heritage, and technology and humor. With the museum's exhibition, California Dreaming, we are curious about artists who come to the Bay Area and create an identity connected to, but not limited to, the possibilities of contemporary Jewish life. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me in. So, Michael, you're a comedian and a cartoonist. Um, They have comedy in common, I suppose, but it's a really unusual pairing. So um, did you ever feel pressure to choose one or the other? No. I've I've been drawing my whole life, and I got into stand-up in college. So it's both have had a a pretty strong through line, one for 20 years and one for 40 years. I heard that you you created uh, your own major in school. Is that correct? I did. I was was studying broadcasting, and I wanted – I got into stand-up, and I – Created, a, I, propo- I made a proposal for the dean, and uh, I wanted more speech, theater, and writing. I mean, it was almost like majoring in Michael. Like I just, I, I felt like I'd learned as much as I, I was going to absorb from the, on the educational side of broadcasting, learning the names of Fresnel Scoop bulbs or what I don't know, whatever else I was. And I wanted, I just wanted, I knew what I wanted: more speech, theater, and writing. I wanted to perform, and and they, they went for it. Did you feel like a university was a place that was? Um creative enough for the things that you wanted to do, or did you feel you were always up against, going against the grain of what, uh, you know, a rigorous academic system required of you as a I'm not proud. I'm not proud to say this, but I got suspended from Ithaca. It was academic suspension for a semester. It was entirely too creative, where I was, um, I failed four classes, and I got an A in advertising, <laughs> which was very creative, all, all the, you know, copywriting, art directing. I mean, I, I threw my all into that. I was hosting six different TV shows for the college station. I had a cartoon in the paper, and I was doing ads for a bunch of bands, doing their flyers. And the grades suffered. And, I mean, it, it, there was no intermediate step of a warning. It just, like, I got a FedEx on Christmas break in my sophomore year, and then whoosh, And it was, a, it was a horrible time for me. It, you, if you've seen Rushmore... You know, the movie. It, it really resonated with me. You know, he's like the beekeepers and the fencing club and the model airplane club. He's doing all this stuff and like, Max, you know, and they had to toss him. I was watching a documentary last night about um, the giants of Silicon Valley, and it's amazing how many of them um, dropped out of college. Is there something about, you think, comedians or cartoonists especially where they want to just see things their own way and want to just kind of turn something on, on its head? You know, I wonder. It's sort of an issue that, and you take it case by case with the comedians. But traditionally, there, there's a correlation between loner and observer. I never really had a click. You know, in in high school, I just kind of, you know, it was almost like a, a, through osmosis, like oh, I like this guy in this click. I got along with her in this click, and you know, found the least acceptable dorks from this click. And you know, and they're the people I despised here and there. But it's just there was never a, a group that I ran with. It was like you know, you were in the it, social space between. Yeah, if, you know, just like, like fell through the cracks. Yeah, you know, 
Did I answer the question? I'm not sure. I don't even remember the question. I have a question. How did I get? I saw that. How did I wind up in this uh, in this podcast? This very distinguished list of people. And then uh, did, did someone cancel for today? Cat, be honest. Did, there was no cancellation. Was... Absolutely not. All right. So for those of you listening at home, that was the sound of my green <laughs> messenger bag opening up. And there's a. Right, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. Surveillance caricatures to... by Michael Capazzola. I did want to talk to you about one of them. Sure. Um, this is an older book, uh, so I don't know. Um, thank you. I sold out it's of the pretty. Yeah, um, yeah. The one I'll tell you. The one I wanted to to mention was um, this is uh, some schlub. He's in a police interrogation room. There's a jolly cop standing above him, and the cop is saying to the guy, claiming the title Mayor of Jim's Cheesesteaks on Foursquare last night is not an alibi, pal. Let's start again. I love that one because it. Um, well, it's absurd. It's not what you expect a policeman to say to this person. It's not the kind of crime you expect someone to be uh, accused of. Um, but for me, it goes to the issue of um, in what ways technology is funny or not funny. Most of us see technology as a little bit nerdy, um, more stylish now than it used to be with Apple and Facebook and everything. But um, but you make technology funny. Um, why? How? It leaves me very cold, so I, I'm not I'm not fully embracing it. I, I you know I'm coming at it from someone who keeps it at arm's length. I mean I have a classic iPod. I, I don't have an iTouch. You know I don't I don't uh, I don't have an I, I, iPhone four. I you know it's uh, I keep it at arm's length. I, I you know I hadn't really thought about it. like it's not an effort to be uh, an outsider or something, but it's just it, you know what it is. It's a lazy it's a lazy and unfulfilled effort to live off the grid. You know to just to keep things. At a distance and observe, you know, I, I just like it that way. It's uh, not being so connected to the technology. Yeah, honestly, I think if I could have a cabin in Vermont and and draw all day, and then go into town at night for a beer or something, I, it would it would suit me just fine. Maybe for half the year, I don't know. But. That's what makes this work. If you were totally seduced by the technology and weren't able to peel it back a little bit and mm. see what's really happening, you wouldn't be able to critique it, and it wouldn't be funny. But this is funny because this is absurd that someone you could imagine someone saying that as an alibi. And the cop doesn't look... He's just a big thug. I don't think he even knows what Foursquare is, but maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I like the idea of this guy being brought in on... Let's say it was like a drunken disorderly or, or a bar fight. And he's like, oh, no, I was somewhere else at the time because you could tell because I checked in on Foursquare. But because <laughs> it's done virtually, anybody could have... If you really wanted to plant an alibi, like, you know, you could picture... It's just men behaving badly. Like, no, no, it's, it's fine. You take my phone... You go to Jim's cheesesteaks. <laughs> you check in. I'll be at the airport with the drugs. It'll be fine. Like that. Like you could see them. Th- these kind of goons trying this. You know, th- they have it all worked out. In the end, it's just men behaving badly, covering their tracks, but they're using technology, and and somehow it's caught up, and and the cops not buying it, as cops won't do. Actually, I've always wondered, like, when you start a drawing, how much are you trying to challenge yourself, kind of technically and conceptually, and how much are you dipping into a bag of, um, you know, tricks you've already developed, already worked on, and kind of just reconfiguring? Like, is it always a new challenge? That's a great question. Um, The challenge for me is the thought of somebody going, wait a sec, you had seven days. You had seven days to go, and this is what you came up with? (laughs) You know, it's it's forgivable. Somebody's got a daily strip, and, and it's like, you know, funny, funny, brilliant, funny, Maybe not as funny, funny. You know, they, they have a certain. They're responsible. They're beholden to a daily readership for a certain level that they have to. You know, you can't, they can't have a down period like oh ninety three and ninety four. That suck. You know, like they they want to have a. They obviously want to be better and better. I'm guilty of dipping into like I. You know, I know how to draw certain things, but it, there is a challenge because I'm not. I'm not the world's greatest artist. What I try to bring to it is the funny, and it has to serve. 
the joke. So, I mean, a, a, an exquisitely drawn poor joke is still a poor joke, and it's not funny. But there are things I've seen. A buddy of mine is a comedy writer, and he can't draw. And I'm doing his. Uh, he's he's come up with these passive aggressive greeting cards. A guy named Mike <laughs> Griffin. They're so funny, and he sends them to, sends them to me, and they're stick figures, and they're amazing concepts, and they're funny. As stick figures. I mean, nobody's going to buy stick figure greeting cards, so thankfully there's me, and I can draw them and flesh them out. But I howl at these things, and they're just stick figures. This, this is what Harvey Picard did too, right, working with um, Harvey Picard who did uh, uh, American Splendor sure. and, and those uh, – rest in peace, Harvey. Um, but working with R. Crumb and, and others, he had these stick figures, uh, and other people would, uh, would, um, would draw them out, and that worked great, which brings me to my question – of the you know the back and forth or the chicken or the egg between the text and the drawing for a cartoon, I'm always curious for people that when they write music, you know, does the melody come first or do the lyrics come first? Is it for you? Is it the joke? Is it the language and then the pictures in service of it, or is it sometimes always, always the joke and then the picture, then the visual? I kind of noodle around with. You know, I always like the single. I, I've been drawing strips as an exercise. Or I love drawing strips, but the thing that I I, I do is a single panel, which means the first. The first moments are implied, and then the aftermath is implied. What you're getting is, you know, a, a, a snapshot in time. There's an economy there where it's, you know, maybe two word balloons, and you have to nail down what is said and what and what occurs, or or what is, you know, rea- reaction and opposite reaction. I mean, in the end, it's pretty pictures and funny words, but it's and it's something I've always done and always loved. Um, here's a digression for which I apologize in advance, but. Um so uh, I wanted to get Jewish for a second. Mm-hmm. Didn't you have some funny idea you were saying before? Oh, Kvetchfest. Yeah, Kvetchfest. Yeah. Love it. Like, it's just the people sounding off on things that are bugging them. I mean, I, I, hopefully it would be funny with the, you know, I mean, but, but humor in Judaism, they, they, go, they go so far back. I mean, I don't know that people were telling jokes. You know, I don't think the Israelites were telling jokes building the pyramids. That must have been a horrible, horrible time. And I don't know exactly the, the origins of Jew, Jewish humor, like how far back it goes. I mean, a lot of great articles. I don't think anyone's done a comprehensive study of this. I think there are, there are some theories about it. Um, the theory is just that Jews are funny. I think that's the theory. Well, it's like, you know, <laughs> outsider. Right. That's a big thing. Mm. Tragedy. Tragedy. Tragedy plus time equals humor. So Jews have had a lot of tragedy, and they've been around a long time. <laughs> there you go. It all goes back to Woody Allen. But here's my question. So Jewish and Italian. I had no choice but to be a comic, I think. No, because, no. I, I, that's, that's my feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about our exhibition, California Dreaming, which is about um, what it means to be Jewish in the Bay Area and how being Jewish in the Bay Area is such a... Um, open-ended, diverse, hyphenated experience, and that I think people can be Jewish and X or X and Jewish or part Jewish or divine Jewish in their own way here in ways that I think they haven't been able to do in other places as much. So I'm curious, you coming here from somewhere else, having these two pieces of your you know, ethnic or whatever national identity, does it feel different to be Jewish and Italian here than in Ithaca? <laughs> no, I grew up in New Rochelle, which was a half hour north of the city, and it was a very Italian and a very Jewish place to be. It was, you know, all my friends. I had a lot of Jewish friends. I went to Hebrew school and I was bar mitzvahed. But I was the guy with the Italian last name. It's very funny. Um, and he was in town recently. The only other Jew I knew at the time with an Italian last name was my buddy David Carnicelli. So when they were calling roll, you know, when they're calling attendance, you know, they would have, it would be, you know, like Baum, Capazzola, <laughs> Carnicelli, Cohen, <laughs> you know, and that we, they were, we were right next to each other. It was right. just the two names that were, uh, but eventually, you know, as I went out in the world, I'd, I'd hear more of this where like wow you're Jewish and you have an Italian last name oh yeah I mean did that make you feel like an outsider at all 
sadly, there were times where people didn't know I was Jewish and I would hear things that I didn't want to hear. And this is not an apology, you know, but I'd, somebody would go, oh, she didn't know you were Jewish. I'm like, that doesn't matter. She shouldn't be saying this kind of stuff. You know, so I would hear these things and it, it just kind of like, oh, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't know this about someone. And then you're forced to, they get filed that way. It's just anti-Semitic or uninformed, or, you know, and, and it's. Do you remember one moment in particular? My barber in Ithaca. I was complaining about my scooter. I bought it, and uh, it was a lemon. And the guy, Bill something or other, and he was Italian. You know, it's like, so it's like this kind of like, I'm listening, and, he, and I left in the middle of the haircut after he said, well, he's a big old Jew. You know, they rip you off left and right, and, we, you know, this haircut's done. And I left, and this guy had been cutting my hair for a long time, and so I left with a half, you know, screwed up haircut, mm. angry at a guy, and, and I would like this guy, you know, he was my barber, and then, you know, it literally, like, took the thing off and split, you know, didn't pay him, didn't talk, didn't come back, you know, but things you don't want to hear, that's just one thing that comes to mind. I mean, that would feed into your comedy or, you know, yeah, your but, observer yeah, status maybe a little bit. But. Yeah, but there was nothing to me at the time funny about it. I mean, physically or aesthetically just to see a fuming, scrawny guy with half a haircut, you know, like like an accidental unintended mullet. Like if he started in the front and the back is long and like, you know, who had the last laugh? He had the last laugh letting me go out of the shop. Like, where'd you get your hair done? Bill did it, you know. Do you remember when that movie came out, I don't know, 10 years ago, Life is Beautiful? Mm-hmm. Um, Benini, what's his name? Yeah, Roberto Benini. Benini. Roberto Benini. Um, people got really mad about that. How can you have, you know, a movie about the Holocaust that has this humoristical piece? We have this comedian... I don't know. It really moved people. It was somehow it was a I think an important moment to um, I don't know for people, including Jews, to find a language to find some. It's not levity. Come to but terms with it. To, I don't even know how to describe what it was. I mean, it was pretty. It was also pretty somber and ponderous. I wouldn't say that it made light of it. It just like introduced even the idea of laughter coexisting with um, the tragedies that were happening. Or even laughter as a way of coping. Yeah, I think that's right. For laughter to be an acceptable way of coping. But it goes back to the storytelling and escapism. And, you know, I think it was for the sake of the boy where he was trying to shield him from these atrocities. And it, 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 I only saw it a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. There's I mean, a storytelling aspect to right. it where it's where it's escapism. You know, there's a, there's a Jewish proverb, I th- if I quote it right, it says, what's truer than the truth? The story. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, and it's just, I mean, I think a great story trumps the truth, but unless you're, there's journalism involved and did you or did you not, sir? But the, the, the story is sometimes better than the truth. And that's where comedy comes from, where it's where the exaggeration of something is somehow, you know, John Stewart's a great case of that, you know, or Colbert, just by exaggerating something, it's somehow, you're distilling, you're boiling everything off to, to you get at the truth of it, of, of the matter. The exaggeration somehow, believe it or not, brings out the truth of it. It strips away all the artifice and um, and any kind of posturing and PR, any any public affairs spin that would have come from it. It's you're getting to the to the kernel of the of the matter. You know, it's it's Molly. There's a great quote from Molly Ivins. I I don't have it in my notebook. It's another notebook, but I love it where she said she said comedy is the weapon of the powerless against the powerful. And there was a, there was a larger quote where it's if it's turned against somebody who's who's powerless you know somebody who's crippled or it's vulgar it's, it's profoundly vulgar but it's the it, you know but when you're taking when when it's the weapon of the underdog it's what it's there for and it, i always found that a, a great quote that might be a good place to end um mm-hmm. oh, we have a formal ending thank you michael capazola thank you thank you that's the formal ending? Uh, no, let me try it again. Um, <laughs> yes, if it were truly it? formal, I wish to, on behalf right. of the Contemporary Jewish Museum, right. I wish to thank you for your appearance today. Very That's good. formal. On behalf of the Contemporary Jewish Museum, we'd like to thank you for your participation in today's podcast. Bavakasha. <laughs> <laughs>